Welcome to Backstage with Becca B with special guests Lana McKissick and Nathan Moore. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Backstage with Becca B. On this episode, this married couple have not only been in a combined total of 10 shows at Rockwell Table and Stage, but they've also both had an extensive amount of television and movie appearances and starred in plus produced content for a YouTube channel that brought in over 190,000 subscribers and over 13 million views. Please welcome Lana McKissick and Nathan Moore. How have you all been? Good. I'm you all. Yeah, we've been good. We're, you know, hunkered down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, staying busy, staying safe and healthy and whatnot. Surprisingly busy. Yeah, surprisingly busy. Yeah, you all have been busy. Yeah, Looks how about good. you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm in Dallas, Texas, but I miss all it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you been there this whole time? Uh, since June. Yeah, so for a while. A while. Oh, I couldn't get home. That's nice that you get to be with your family right now, I feel like. Yeah, and I'm glad I missed the earthquake. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. It was just jarring. It wasn't so, uh, I mean, for us anyway. Yeah, it wasn't so, I feel like there have been worse ones in the past couple of years, but, you know. Bianca was like, the apocalypse is coming. <laughs> it's like in LA. And I was like, oh, okay. That was the worst one. Didn't you feel like there were, there have been a couple in the last couple of years where I was like, this is long. Yeah, I was more worried about the fires. Yeah. Yeah. Smoke and all that crap. Yeah, the earthquake last summer were pretty bad, though. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't miss those. So anyways, I'll get, I'll get right into theater stuff. Let's do it. Okay, yay. Yay. Okay, so uh, when was the first time, for both of you, when was the first time you all knew that you, like, wanted to uh, have a career in the entertainment industry, whether it be uh, theater, TV, film, behind the scenes? Uh, well, I, being born in L.A., um, I think when you're a kid here, everybody just tries doing something in the entertainment industry just because it's so close and it's like, might as well. Um, so I started, I did my first commercial when I was two, um, and I joined SAG when I was 10 and did, you know, TV, film, commercials, theater from then on. So I knew pretty immediately and it's not that I was pushed into it. I had like, my parents were very generous with their, with allowing me to try different things. So I did like gymnastics and figure skating and taekwondo and jiu-jitsu and dance and painting and you know all kinds of things that I'm not good at not good at any of the things um and then uh you know I was like no this is the thing that I love so all those other things kind of fell away and yeah that's that's how I knew okay what about Nathan I kind of followed my sister into performing. Um, the, uh, there was a uh, local organization at the beaches where I grew up called Youth of the Beaches Arts Guild. And they would do a summer production every summer of a musical. And my sister had gotten interested in performing. And rather than having uh, my sister and I go to separate places for like the, our summer camp, 
uh, essentially my parents would just take me and drop me off with her. So uh, I, I kind of got drafted into performing because of a, a carpool situation um, <laughs> and fell in love with it. And it was just like uh, it, very much my thing um, and continued to pursue that. And then when I got into high school, uh, I got introduced to t television production and shooting and filming and editing and all of that uh, side of things. And I think everything that's happened since then has been some sort of amalgamation of the two. Yeah, because uh, you've taken on, especially like in the past couple of years, you've taken on uh, directing and behind the scenes. Yeah, more even even more than than the performing, um, doing a lot more producing, directing, writing. Um, just as 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 I've grown as a storyteller, uh, I feel like my want to be involved in the creation of the story itself has has grown and rather than just uh getting to contribute as an actor I, i've had that pang and desire to to really be there way before that process even starts and to to be involved in the creation and then in the decisions after the that kind of stuff for the film and television side of things. And then for theater, uh, really just getting to work with some of the most amazingly talented people I've ever seen in my entire life, um, including this one right here. Um, but- uh, <laughs> You say these things. No, I mean, and again, like I, I feel very uh, lucky because I followed Lana into the Rockwell space in that she was performing there and uh, had found community there amongst the the creative geniuses that lurked, uh, and I kind of got adopted and and just kind of got my opportunity to start directing theater for the first time at Rockwell because of of those relationships, and so here we are. Yeah, yeah, yes, and I've met you all through Rockwell, so like that's amazing. I know. I miss it so much. I know. We miss it too. I know everyone does. And then uh, I'm going to get more into Rockwell uh, a little later for sure. But I have to ask, what was the first theater show you all ever saw? I can tell you the, the first one that had a kind of impact on me that opened the doors to the kind of performing world other than just kind of attending and being forced to sit through something was Les Mis. Uh, and that was uh, when I was in seventh grade, I saw the national tour of Les Mis and it blew my face off just with the, the, the scale of the performance and the, the theatricality of the, the, the costumes and the performers. And I, I just never seen anything like it. And I couldn't stop talking about it afterwards. And it, it is what kind of at the same time of, of following my sister into the, the theater uh, kind of propelled me toward the, the arts and toward even my most recent project is a feature film called The Rising Hawk that comes out on October 2nd in the United Ooh. States of Canada. Uh, and it's, it's this huge historical epic and I can draw a straight line from it back to watching Les Mis and going, how do I, how do I recreate this for yeah. someone else? Yes. Les Mis. Uh, genius. 
Yeah, I I honestly am not sure what the first show I saw was, but I've seen Les Mis the most. I've seen it probably 10 times or so. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, I, rem- I have a vague memory of being a child and I, we saw a lot of theater. I mean, just all the touring companies that came through LA. But I remember seeing cats and crying and demanding to leave. <laughs> I think I was really little. I think I was probably scared of the cats, but I also was just like, what is this? And how um, do you feel about cats now? <laughs> Wait, how, how do you feel about it now? <laughs> Um, no, I mean, uh, uh, you know what? I haven't seen it since. Uh, the movie, look, I had a blast watching it. It was very fun. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen the, the live show since that one time that I walked out. So, um, I don't know how I feel about it, but I didn't like it then. Did you have an aisle seat? Oh. You know, that's a great question. I don't remember. I just remember my mom being like, stop this. You're making a scene and me being like, ah! and she's like, this. And then, like, I remember getting yelled at in the bathroom for making noise. Um, but I'm like, you're the one who brought a child to this crazy show that has. It's just one dial away from being horror. <laughs> it kind of is, especially if you're on the aisle. That's what I asked because the first time I went, I, I was on the aisle and I was like, oh, they, like, come up and, like, they don't give you warning, and they, like, come up and, like, touch you and, like... Oh, see, I don't even remember that, so maybe, maybe that is what happened. Uh, that would be scary. Pre-COVID theater. There was, like, someone touching my head, and I, like, looked back, I was, like, who was touching my head? And it's, like, one of that. There's a cat perched on your shoulder. And I'm, like, this isn't a Rockwell show. Like, look, at Rockwell, like, I expected. <laughs> yeah. Was, like, <laughs> They're, like, drinking your drink. You're, like, maybe this is Rockwell. <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is, hmm, interesting. Maybe, maybe they should try a change of venue. Yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> so people expect it. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then you all both went to school for musical theater, right? Mm-hmm, I went to UCLA. And I went to Elon University. Okay, how, what was the experience like uh, at at the schools for musical theater and what was the most valuable takeaway you all had? Um, UCLA was incredible. I absolutely loved every second of it and I miss it. Um, college was so much fun for me. Um, it was quite intense. It's a BA program, not a BFA. So it's not as intense as some other programs I've heard, but I mean, it's pretty, you know, we started, we started, uh, we had 8 a.m. Tai Chi, I think it was three days a week, and that was for, I think, a couple of years we had that. I'm trying to remember now. But um, then it was like, from that point on, you had class all the way till six, and then you had an hour break, and then if you were in a show, you had rehearsal from seven to 11, and then you had to walk like 30 minutes back from the theater school to the dorms and then you'd start all over the next day. And that, you know, that's like not accounting for the social aspect of college, that's just class. But it was so fun, Ugh, I loved it. Um, and what was the second part of the question? What was your most valuable takeaway from like lesson learned? My most valuable takeaway, I guess, 
I mean, something that I realize now is really valuable is having to learn a lot of things that I wasn't really interested in, but you know, it's sort of, it's like the, the general education portion of your degree, not just like the college version, not, not like the general, um, like English and math and that kind of stuff, but like of theater. So we had to do costume shop and lighting shop and like learn how to hang lights. We had to physically like learn how to, you know, sew costumes and, um, we had to be backstage for some of the plays that we weren't in and um, that kind of stuff at the time. I'm like, I have no desire, intro to directing and, and like set design. I'm like the worst artist in the world. So that was a big struggle for me, but it was really valuable to do that, not only for learning aspects of those skills, but also realizing, hey, some of these things come in handy later. Mm -hmm. Like, I think especially, you know, in the, entertainment industry in the way that it is now so much of it is uh your success is based around being a go-getter and and you know learning how to wear different hats and just going for it and I think that was good preparation because it's like yeah I mean I don't really remember how to whip stitch anymore but I have a lot of respect for people in all different jobs and I I there are little things that I go oh I didn't think I'd be holding a boom but like yeah, I kind of know how to do this. And I'm like, you know, and um, yeah, it prepares you for, for uh, the willingness to try new and difficult things, I think. Yeah, more, more experience and more like, I can do that, this and this and this. Yeah, and yeah, just the, the confidence of knowing like, I'm not gonna be great at this right away, but like, I'll do it, I'll try it, I'll try anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Nathan! <laughs> Uh, I went to Elon University uh, and uh, their BFA musical theater program. Um, and I think the things that I got, the, the environment that I, I was a part of was very nurturing as far as the community, like within the, the group of people. Um, and there was a small-ish uh, department. So there's only like 10 to 20 people per year. And so the the relationships um, have really, for me, been the thing to, that, that has continued on through, you know, the years um, or the ability to, you know, have those, the, the kind of close connections to people. And, and I think college is a big part of learning that. Um, learning how to interact with people and learning outside of the uh, the, the umbrella of protection that uh, I had as as uh, somebody that grew up in my parents' house, like that was very uh, lucky to have that. And then going to college and learning how to operate as a human being outside of that was uh, really valuable for me to then grow as an adult and then be able to move across the country and meet new people and establish myself and make the kind of connections that uh, you have to make in order to be able to produce work. Um, and I think the, the most valuable thing that, that Elon taught me was uh, something that they said at the very beginning of the program, because it is a liberal arts school, it's not a conservatory. Um, and they said, you're going to get out of this program as much as you're willing to put in. Um, so the the amount of work that you put in is going to be reflected in you know the level of, of 
growth that you have and the amount of people that take notice and the, you know, those networks of people that you can build. Um, and for me, that, that resonated, you know, the, the ability to go from wherever you are and whatever talent or skill level that you have and invest in that and then really be able to, to see the, the, the growth and the, the building off of, of where you started. Um, I feel like that has carried forward as well, you know, to, to us having a YouTube channel and shooting and editing and producing our own content. And then to the, the theater world, as far as being able to pull resources and people together under, you know, a unified vision. Uh, to the film and television world, being able to pick up a telephone and ask somebody for something, even though you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, just, you know, the, the idea is that you're going to get in, or you're going to get out of something what you can, what you put in, so. Yeah. I, I find it so interesting that like, everyone describes these theater programs at schools Kind of like, I mean, my sister is on a gymnastics team and it's kind of like a sports team. Mm. It's like as competitive and like as like, ta it takes up as much of your time as sports do essentially in college, which I feel like people don't realize. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a definitely a time commitment that if you're going to study, you know, at a, you know, program that has a committed track in that direction, uh, you can go through, take all the classes and not invest yourself time-wise, but you're also not going to probably get very far as, as, as a performer goes. I also think in college, you're paying so much to be there that if you're not getting everything out of it then you, that you can, then you just shouldn't be there. Like it's, no, you don't have to go to college. Truly. You might as well, you know, do something that you love because if you don't love this, you're going to be paying for it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Nathan mentioned YouTube. So I have to talk about YouTube before I get more into theater. How do, how do you, like, manage to build a platform on YouTube like you have managed to? Well, I think Lana should speak to that since her, her name is the big name on the billboard. And she's <laughs> the one that introduced the me to, to the world as well. Um. When I started YouTube, I think it was 2007 or so. It was pretty new. Um, and my best friend from college, Chester C, was um, making videos on there. And he was like, do you want to make some videos? And I was like, not really, but OK. Um, because I didn't know what it was. And you know, um, it was new and weird. But we start, I started my own channel. We did covers of things and that's pretty much it. I just did song covers. Um, and then when I met Nathan and I was, I think I had amassed, um, I'm not sure what the subscribership was when we met, but- um, uh, It was like 16,000. I think so it was Nathan's like, like whoa. <laughs> well then, so then I went on this internet reality show called Internet Icon and then my subscribership continued to grow and climb and then Nathan and I um, decided to start making our own videos and Nathan 
didn't have a ton of experience. Like you had done video production stuff in school, but yeah. like, but it was, but you know, YouTube's a different beast. It's like edited differently. It's shot differently. Um, so we, you know, Nathan got a computer and a camera and we, we, you know, learned how to use Final Cut or I should say he did. Um, and, you know, got all the software and just kind of figured it out. And if you watch the sort of, um, the growth of our channel, you can see like, oh, that's where they learned sound. And, oh, and now the color looks better. Oh, cool. You know, so that's kind of fun to look back at. Um, but by the time we haven't posted in, I don't know, five years or so, but we grew to almost 200,000 subscribers by the time we paused. Um, and yeah, it's just a sort of like learning process really. And, and doing things that make you happy because at a certain point we realized, okay, the way to grow is to post constantly. You're not posting about every day. You're, so it's hard. It's difficult to, to right. grow your audience. But that meant looking back now, putting up a ton of not so great things, not a ton. Some of them I'm very proud of. Some of them I'm like, oh my God, we clearly just needed something to put out that day. And <laughs> embarrassing. So I've gone through and privated a few things now, but, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it was just a big learning process and a lot of fun. And then it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore because it was all the things that we loved and that we put our heart and soul into and a lot of money into those would get like, like, you know, larger scale, um, sketches or dramatic content those would get like a fifth of the views of like me putting on putting makeup on nathan being like you know because that's what people go to youtube to see is like the fun so the time investment that we were putting into the the projects as they grew and became like bigger and got more people involved we got the opportunity through youtube and the youtube space to work with people like stan lee we shot a uh, short film that he was actually in. Yeah, he made a uh, cameo. And then we got... Uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo we del Toro with. we worked with and had a whole notes session with him on a horror short film that we wrote, Ooh. produced, and that we've since been developing into a feature. And uh, so the, like, the opportunities to grow what we wanted to do into what we wanted to, where we wanted to go as far as like the, the scripted, more narrative-based content uh, became a, more readily available off of YouTube because of the YouTube algorithm to just drive traffic as, as uh, people posted more regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's without an entire production team behind us and it's just the two of us, it became really difficult to kind of keep up with that kind of content output. Our, our bandwidth just couldn't hold up. And I'm sure that, you know, you know, in, in creating your own channel and, and brand that it, it's a full-time job. And then oh, yeah. you do have success and people do start to look at it. It becomes even more of a full-time job because if you want it to click over into that thing where you're actually making money and it's supporting you, you have to invest more time into it. So it, it becomes that balance of, yes, we were able to support ourselves by doing it, but it was just monopolizing all of our time and we weren't getting the kind of, of traffic or the kind of response that we felt the time investment was taking. Um, so we started to invest our opportunities off of YouTube and film and television projects. And uh, weirdly enough, uh, after having built the base on YouTube, 
the industry has come back to YouTube uh, and, and the digital streaming platforms and a lot of the more traditional things that we were trying to build toward getting have now come back to the streamers and the people that, you know, have their own bases on the internet and look to them to help point the direction of, of where the, the entertainment content is going with, with platforms like, you know, that have shorter attention spans. Yeah. Like, like Instagram and I mean, TikTok, TikTok and all of that. Yeah. yeah. And how did y'all meet? Cause I don't think I know this story, but how did y'all meet and like team up on these things? We met through a mutual friend at a board game night. It was her birthday party. And, um, we uh we played board games together and fell in love <laughs> and um yeah we've been together for 10 years Aww. been together a minute uh Ten and a half years. but it was it was very much a, a matter of of once we spent time together both of us were smitten and uh then after having you know being in a relationship with one another for almost a year we then started to create stuff together when we was it that long yeah our first thing we actually put out was in october of the year that we met okay um and we met in january so almost a year uh but and and it just became like a part of our relationship Really, like even our our wedding proposal was built around a the guise of a, a filming a video that was not real, but I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you were talking about it being a full time job, and for the first couple years that we were doing it, it it was technically not. We both had full time jobs, and then you know at night we'd be like, all right we got to write something and like we'd shoot it and then Nathan would be editing, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, and for a while that's really fun and exciting. And, and because we have a very strong mutual respect, um, for one another, it's, it, you know, we were able to do it in a way where we didn't want to kill each other, which I think can happen in those high stress, like little sleep situations. Um, and then it became more of a full-time job when, when we started to get like success and income from it, we were like, okay, well we can focus on this. Um, but weirdly that is sort of when it stopped being as fun when it was like, well, now we're kind of depending on this to live. And now it's like more important as opposed to a hobby that happens to bring in some income. Yeah. And you're still losing sleep over it. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Your, your sleep schedule is still completely messed up. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. So then uh, before, getting back into theater, oh, but before you all discovered Rockwell, what was the, what was your favorite theater show you did pre-Rockwell? Mm, good question. That is a good question. Uh, I think for me, uh, my, I have like different theater experiences that, that, uh, span more than just a single show because most of the the theater that I did prior to Rockwell was either in summer stock so I did a number of shows with the same group of people uh, or uh, I worked on the Disney cruise ship right out of college and we did like 
six different shows over the course of a week. But again, it was with the same group of people. Um, so it's, it's experiences like that and, and like the cruise ship and like Rockwell, where you get to do several shows with the same group of people that for me end up being the things I remember, not necessarily the individual shows, uh, but the, the, the group that, that did the show together. Um, but if I had to name one, <laughs> but if I had to name one, uh, I did this show in college, uh, called Lend Me a Tenor my freshman year and it was a, a comedy and it's uh I don't know that it holds up PC wise uh 20 years later uh there's there's some controversial subjects but it was oh, my I don't know that show I've gotten now I'm intrigued yes he is Ken Ludwig I believe is the the uh author um okay. But I remember the experience of actually being in the show as a freshman and having like a big part and getting to like do it being uh, uh, very exciting and, and, and feeling like I had made the right decision as far as pursuing the arts, you know, uh, into college because you have those, those doubts uh, certainly, you know, at that time and even now, uh, but like the, the decision to actually go to college and study the arts rather than something that is traditionally more reliable um, is, is always, uh, there's always a lot of outside pressure and kind of and, and influence from people. And so for me getting there and then immediately my first year booking something there at least gave me the confidence to, to be uh, upright moving forward. Yes, you're like I could do this as a career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 it was just a you know a college show, but it to me that's it, it signaled something that was affirming. I love that. Um, my favorite show pre Rockwell was the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Um, and that was actually the show I was doing when we met, so he got to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, I played Marcy Park. It was just so fun. It was a lot like Rockwell, actually. I mean, it was a proscenium show, but if you know the show, it's pretty interactive. And, you know, there are a couple of audience members who are brought up and sit with us on the stage. And, you know, it's always different. You don't know, you know, there are different contingent contingencies for how people respond to things. But it's different every night, depending on, you know, if somebody's if an audience member spells a word correctly or not, or if they're, you know, trying to be funny and you gotta say, that's not your job. It's our job. Go sit down. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that's, I, that's, that's what I love about theater and, and places like Rockwell. Um, but also with this show where it's not the same every time. Cause I think mm. that I've never done like an eight show a week schedule. Is that true? Yeah. I think I've done, I think, I've done a few shows that are like six shows a week, but not eight. Um, and I feel like it could be maybe a little monotonous if it's the same and you're doing it for a really long time. But when it's just, you're constantly on your toes, you, you never get bored or tired of anything because you don't know what's coming. And I just find that exhilarating. <laughs> yeah, and that brings up Rockwell, but because that, because that describes Rockwell to a T. Yeah. So, um, how did you all discover Rockwell? I know the first show I saw Alana and there was Devil Wears Prada. Mm -hmm. um, so my friend AJ Raphael, who is also a YouTuber, 
we put together this Disney concert and we were looking for venues and I had been to Rockwell. We'd both been to Rockwell, but it was before they tore the wall down. So it was, you know, in the OG for the record days. Yeah. It was just that tiny little area. And I had a couple friends who were in for the record. I think I saw, we both saw Boz mm-hmm. Lerman. Um, uh, uh, did you see Romeo and Julia? No, I did not see that. Um, but that wasn't for the record. We saw a couple shows there. Uh, John Hughes. Was on oh, John Hughes. And then, then at, no, that was at DBA, but we saw Tarantino as well. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, that was my experience with it was just that. And I went, there's this place, and I don't know anything about it, but the venue was pretty cool. And then we looked at it, and we were like, oh, snap. Now it's like this whole other thing where they tore the wall down, and it was an actual big space with a big stage. And we were like, this seems like a possibility. So I wrote an email, and I was like, hi, I'm, we're looking for a venue for our show. And, you know, and so we rented it um, for that. And then I guess it was like a year later or so. Mm-mm. No, a few months later. What happened is they rented it and then they like oversold it in the first like two or three days. Like mm-hmm. it was packed. Well, and, at and first they were like, you guys need to have, a, you, you need to hit a certain number of tickets sold or you can't do this show. And we were like, okay. And we hadn't promoted it yet. We had just set it up and we were like figuring out a way to advertise it. But then, you know, I had a relatively big following. AJ had a huge following. And so we announced it and then we sold it out pretty quickly. Um, and they had to keep adding chairs on the day of because some people just showed up and they were like, we're at capacity. And that was very cool because, you know, you never know when you're self-producing something. You're like, I hope people come, but uh. So I think that that event got her on the radar of uh, Kate. Kate Pazakis, who was uh, running. Executive producer. Yeah, she was the executive producer, and she created the unauthorized musical parody series at Rockwell. Um, And she called me one day, I think it was like right before Christmas that year. That was Mm -hmm. 2016. And she said, hey, I, I'm, you know, I do these parodies. I don't know if you've seen them. I hadn't, um, but I would love for you to audition for this. And I was like, okay, I would love to, but it was a day that I couldn't come in. And I said, can I send in a tape? And you know, for theater at that time, now everybody's taping, but at that yeah. time, I was like, no, you like go in in person. And I was like, they're not gonna want to see me. And she was like, yeah, sure, send a tape, whatever. And I was like, okay. And having not seen any of the shows, I didn't know the tone. I didn't really know, you know, I just had the basic script, which wasn't even what ended up being the real script. It was just like scenes pulled from the movie. And like, I didn't know that the parodies were what they are. So I don't think I was even particularly funny. I was just kind of doing a straight read of The Devil Wears Prada. But that ended up being kind of the straight role in that show. Yeah, exactly. So it, it Andy, played well. Yeah, I, I was reading for Andy Sachs, who's the Anne Hathaway character, and she's, you know, yeah, she is sort of the, the straight man to a degree. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I remember being in Florida with his family for the holidays, and I got this email on Christmas Eve. It was like, we'd like to offer you this role of Andy Sachs. You're going to share it with this amazing person, Kelly Jekyll. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like, I didn't, I really didn't expect it. And then when I got there and met everyone and Kelly, who's a dream, who I love so much, like, we're still very good friends to this day. Um, it changed my life. Rockwell totally changed 
a lot of aspects of my life and opened a lot of doors for me. And I, um, yeah, I, I was there for the better part of four years before all of this happened. Um, so it was, yeah, that's how I got in. And then Nathan would come and watch the shows pretty frequently. Um, cause you know, I was there a couple nights a week and, you know, if we wanted to have weekend dates, it was like, well, then you're gonna have to come see the show and we'll hang out afterwards. Um, and then, uh, Ty Blue, who had directed The Devil Wars Prada, um, was then doing The Big Lebowski, and he was like, uh, they had added a couple shows, I think, and some people couldn't do it, and they were like, they knew that Nathan had a performance background, and said, do you think he'd be interested in subbing in for, like, three shows of The Big Lebowski playing Mr. Lebowski? Mm -hmm. And Nathan was like, I don't, I, don't, I haven't really done theater in a little while. It had been 10 years since I had been on stage. Had it been? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. And yeah, so. So Rockwell brought me back out of theater retirement. I was so proud of you because you really didn't want to do it, but it was when it, not because, like, you wanted to do it, but I think it was probably scary. And, like, yeah, it was all nerves. It was after having seen the level of talent that performs on that stage and just the, the, the amount of skill it takes to really control uh, an audience when you're that close to them. It's, a, it's, it's close to stand-up comedy as theater gets without being stand-up comedy. And stand-up comedy, I feel like, is my worst fear. And so Most people's. <laughs> putting, putting myself in that close of proximity to uh, something that, that I've always kind of been scared of uh, was, was definitely a, a hurdle that I had to, to get by. Um, but luckily, uh, I called uh, Peter Allen Vogt and uh, John Flynn, who were playing the role that, that I had been asked to sub in on. And I just was really upfront. And I said, hey, I've seen both of you guys perform numbers of times in this role. And I think you're both hilarious. Can I cherry pick from you the things I think are, were funny so that I can feel comfortable getting up on stage with no rehearsal and just performing? Um, and both of them were incredibly gracious and, and, you know, giving me pointers and telling me, you know, what worked for them and, you know, why. And uh, then I, I took those things and took things that I, I added to it as well. And, and I felt very comfortable going up on stage surrounded by the people like uh, Damon Grabina. Grabina, yeah. Grabina. Uh, so, and it was, it was, experiences like that going up on stage that later on when I was asked to direct, you know, became kind of the, the linchpin or the cornerstone of, of how I started to direct and getting people that uh, I knew could flourish in those type of situations and, and being able to get information very quickly, process it, and then add their own spin to it in that fast of a time and do that while singing, dancing, and trying not to sweat on the, the people eating. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think people realize, I mean, I'm sure other people have talked about it, but just how crazy the rehearsal process is at Rockwell. Because if you are cast in a show from the get-go, it's already a pretty accelerated process. Like, sometimes the script is not even finished by the time you start. Like, Devil Wears Prada, we didn't even get Act 2 until, like, I want to say six days before the show opened and it was like, you know, 10 new songs we had to learn and like 
all the dialogue and all the blocking and the choreography. There wasn't a ton of choreography at the time, but you know, it's a lot. Um, and then if you're subbing into a show, which we've both done, so have you done it more than that time? Mm, no. Okay. I've done it many times. I've subbed into yeah. a lot of shows at Rockwell. It's terrifying. And it's a lot. Cause you're basically there's, they don't have rehearsals. They might've one. They, they'll have one put in rehearsal, but not everyone comes. It's, you know, because people have jobs and whatever. And so everyone who can come comes and you sort of run through it, but it's not with the band and it's like not with the costumes and you're just kind of going, I don't, all right. And you know, you've just memorized it. And honestly, we have you to thank for a lot of that because it's your videos that we would watch and go, okay, where does that person go now? And Oh, oh, and then they change over there. Okay, and then they have to. Okay, great, got it. Because even as a as a director, I can I can speak to to as far as that rehearsal process. Like, what happens with the shows once they get on their feet is is something different than than I direct usually. Uh, the the, <laughs> the and I don't mean that. In, no, I don't mean that in a negative way. Actually, I mean that in a positive way. In that the the performers inhabit the roles and they guide the 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 show and the action and the characters and the interactions. And so over time, they, they change just a little bit. And so when you're trying to place somebody else in the show, it's difficult because the, where you started and where the show is now are two different places. And as a director, I can be like, you need to make this your own, but this is the genesis of how we got here. Um, and I think the ability to ingest information that quickly and sub in is also, it transfers forward as far as other projects are concerned, even in that Lana and I just shot a feature film during quarantine in which we rehearsed over Zoom uh, over five days, got on stage, did one day of on set rehearsal and then shot a 90 page feature film in three days. Um, and it was not, it was not unlike a Rockwell kind of timeline. Yeah, because yeah, we had to we basically learned thirty page. We had, well, we had to learn the whole thing ahead of time, memorize, which is not which is normal for a show, but that's not the way films are made. Um, but it, we would yeah. do thirty pages a day, which is outrageous. Usually, do like a few. Um, and uh, so that was nuts. But definitely, Rockwell gave us the experience and the training and the confidence that we could do it because honestly I do believe if you are thrown into a Rockwell show last minute anyone who's done it will attest to this I do believe you can do anything in the entertainment sphere because it is very hard there's not a lot of reward there is a lot of risk it's scary the whole time and then you know the way that I look at it as the first one is just terrifying. You're just going, I hope I know I hit, I don't ruin the show. I hope I hit all my marks and say all my lines. And that's really all I'm worried about. The second one's more fun. And if you get to do it a few times, then great. But yeah, if you're just subbing in for one show, like nobody knows that you had no rehearsal. So nobody's going to go, oh, well, she only had one rehearsal. They're just going to go, well, that sucked. Or, oh yeah, the show was great. So there's no, you know, it's really yeah. like, it's a, it's a great You don't challenge. get a disclaimer by yeah. subbing in. Yeah. And, and there's the added, there's 
audience members literally within like inches of like sitting within inches of each other and they're so packed into there together so there's the the added, I hope I don't crash into a server going oh, to yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have that fear anyway, even if I'm with the show from the beginning. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to kill someone by accident. But I, I mean, people don't always pay attention when they get up either. Yeah. Like when they get up during the show to go somewhere or like sometimes the servers don't pay attention. Well, we've also been a part of shows in which, you know, the, the in Jurassic Park, opening night uh the gentleman that was playing our uh dr uh, malcolm malcolm uh stepped off the stage at the end of act one and shattered his ankle yeah becca was there because yeah. there's a video of it happening you don't see the actual break but you you, you hear him step off the stage like past the camera it's right when it happens mm. yeah and you can hear it i think a little bit oh really oh, i haven't listened to it oh god but in, in you know and so having having been a part of of experiences like that where people have gotten hurt not by anybody's doing but just by the natural like speed of the shows and like the the movement of the shows is is as a sub stepping into that you know mm-hmm. everyone else has to be ultra careful and also you know assisting and taking care of it but as a performer you know you have to have at least enough comfort to be able to move around safely uh, through very dark and narrow pathways where people are moving and things are happening and uh, remember choreography and remember all those things. And so it takes a very high level of concentration to be able to pull off. And usually the, the people that are really successful at it, you never know that they subbed in because that's the, that's the level of professionalism. That's the level of talent that a lot of these people have. They're going straight from Rockwell stage to leading roles on Broadway and leading roles on uh, film and television series that people are, are wondering to themselves, why are they performing in this tiny theater in Los Feliz when they have these sort of fan bases and these sort of, this talent that on a normal basis would be in front of thousands, if not more people on a nightly basis. But we ended up getting to be a part of a little community and enclave that found this uh, oasis that we were able to all congregate around for a a number of years and and, uh, be creative and and be friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's so special. And the show's really, like you have to think on your feet during them too. So yeah, how, how are you able to do that and think on your feet enough to improv and like, I mean, make the audience enjoy the show and laugh and uh, have like unexpected moments because like at a Rockwell show, you never know what to expect. You never know what lines to expect that aren't in the movie. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a matter of practice and just allowing yourself to to go there because I think if it's it's hard the first couple shows because you're really just trying to do what you've learned and what you've been rehearsing and then I think you feel a little more free to play after like after two I think it feels a little more like okay I got it Mm. I've got them the bones of it and now I can play um that's how I feel anyway but um I think you know Devil Wars Prada which you know, was my first show there. Somebody like grabbed my leg while I was walking. And I remember being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. 
Um, you know, and I, and I don't even remember what I said or did, but like, yeah, weird things happen. People talk over you. People start singing happy birthday in the middle of shows and you're like, I guess we're doing this now. (laughs) There's like sparklers and we're singing like a dramatic song over here. Um, I think speaking to that is that I think is kind of the magic of, uh, once you do get comfortable is the ability to listen and to pay attention to the varying things that happen from night to night and responding to those individual things you know it's it's kind of the 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 playbook for improv you know yes and but from a rockwell perspective you have to yes and within eight bars or within four bars of music or within one line of dialogue you have to be able to identify something and then get it back on track in order for the 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 next piece to to fall in line. Um, so it, it does it does take a lot of uh, like what Lana was saying, the the listening and and really keying into the people around you. And I think something about Rockwell that is so special is that you're allowed to break that fourth wall mm-hmm. and like you know, the audience is part of something special. I mean, that's how I've always felt being on stage and watching shows there. It's like, it feels like a shared experience. It's not just us performing for you. Like you're part of it too. And I think there's nowhere else like that. That's, that's you know, something that makes Rockwell so unique. Um, I've done shows before. I was in a production of Miss Saigon where the, um, there was something happened with the, the kid playing Tam and I think he had to go to the bathroom like right before he was supposed to come out and um so the engineer finishes singing um if you want to die in bed and he's like you need a piece of ticket and he's yeah. a huge number and then Kim and Tam are supposed to come running on while he's standing there and they don't come running on and this is a dramatic operetta like there's not dialogue it's just like you know, fully sung through, and he's standing there, and the um, conductor's in the pit like this, <laughs> hands shaking, because, like, and, you know, everybody's like, they're just playing, like, this tension music, and, you know, our our wonderful um, engineer, Kevin Bailey, he just goes, ah, I love Dreamland. It was, he just started, like, saying weird things, but, like, you know, it I worked. I did a show with Kevin. I know. Um, but it, you know, he was saying things that made sense in the context of the show, but like, you know, in that kind of situation, you don't have the crutch of being like, well, it sucks when somebody's got to pee and they miss their entrance, which you could absolutely do at Rockwell and people would love it and it would be hilarious. You know, it's just a different animal. So that's, that's something that I think is so fun about Rockwell and so freeing and exciting and, um, and like, the adrenaline junkie in me loves that. The like, oh, I hope something goes, not, not wrong. I don't ever want something to go wrong, but like, I hope something unexpected happens because then you get to play and that's, and then the audience also, I think, feels like even more like they saw something special because they're like, oh my God, I was there the night that. Yeah. Yeah. The night the lights went out and everyone put their. Cell- I wasn't there then. I wasn't there either. I'm but so excited. <laughs> I'm so upset I wasn't there then. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I wasn't there the last show before this all happened, so I was sad. I'm sad about that too. Well, that's probably for the best. It was uh, 
it you know we weren't quite aware when we did that show of what was going on but yeah covid had already struck and we just didn't really know it yet so i think we were at intermission when uh the message went out across la as far as the lockdown happened uh and so there was there was only like 10 people in the audience that day there were 29 people 29 yeah uh but we got the other thing and we were like well, well even showing up that morning i remember it was weird because yeah. we were all like something feels weird should we be doing this but then people had bought tickets and we were then again we didn't know all the details of like how it is spread because honestly that was the worst place to be in a situation like this like you're eating and people are sweating and singing around you and you know so anyway it's for the best that you weren't there because you are healthy and safe and hopefully everyone <laughs> who was there is as well. Like all everyone who did the shows is healthy and safe. Yeah. So presumably that goes for everyone else too. It's, it's just weird how fast like everything kind of like plummeted that month. Oh, really? so uh, yeah. I, I, I think it was like when the NBA shut down that everything felt real. Cause it was like, well, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to stop a multi-billion dollar industry from moving forward unless somebody has a real problem yeah yes and then um i was gonna ask uh what would what's both of your favorite shows at rockwell what have been both of your favorite shows at rockwell but i also have another added question what's the, your favorite show that you've seen the other performing in at rockwell mm. oh that's a great question um i have i have a few favorites um You've done like nine shows there now, I think. And 13 shows. Well, because I'm counting when I've done things twice. Okay. So like, yeah. I did Focus Focus for two years, or like I did Brides, I wasn't, I subbed into Bridesmaids as two different characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my two favorites are, I loved It. Um, I thought it was the most fun I've ever had on stage, period. Um, it was just so fun and special and crazy and bizarre. And like, I really loved it. I love everyone involved. We're still very close and we still chat all the time. And um, yeah, I thought that show was so special. Um, and then my other favorite, it's, I mean, it's the last two I did. The Never Been Kissed was my favorite in terms of what a magical experience of getting to act opposite Nathan and to like fall in love with him every night and to, you know, sing some awesome songs and to, you know, get to, it was the first time since Devil Wears Prada, which had been four years prior that I was playing like a romantic lead again. Well, I did, I subbed into Bridesmaids, but you know, this was like my show, Never Been Kissed. And like, I got to do it the whole time and um it just felt like for a long stretch of time I was playing a bunch of children which is so fun but like you know, I played a kid in Jurassic Park and twice in Hocus Pocus and um in it I was a kid but it was different like I was playing a boy and like I don't know <laughs> totally different thing but like I just was like I want to play like a woman you know I want to play an adult woman and I want to just you know that's I want to go back to like just doing something fun where I, I get to be funny, but I'm not like playing this like crazy character every once in a while. Um, yeah. And strangely enough, that 
came about because you were you were stepping in for somebody else that was, yeah we like, both we both did yes yeah, yeah. so that was actually there were two other people cast in those roles and I was actually supposed to play Aldis um, and then you know there were scheduling issues and so I I don't even think so we stepped I think up I did the table read I did the table read and mm -hmm. I I think I read for um now I can't remember her name what's the character's Molly name? McCurk. Yeah, well, the character's name. Oh, I don't know. I read for what'd you say, Becca? Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't say. Um, I, I remember. Apparently, it's Josie. Not, not Josie Grossy. Of course. On. Thank you. Um, I read for her. I think at the table read because Molly was gone, and um, right. but then I think the next day we had found out that she was no longer able to do the show. So then Emma was like, her show, yeah. Emma was like, we want you to play Josie. Um full-time because I was gonna cover Josie on top of playing all this. Anyway, everything got switched around and then I went to one rehearsal with someone who was supposed to play, um, what was your character's name? God, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the teacher. And then he had a conflict and so uh, they, I, I stepped I in like the second day of rehearsal. Yeah, but I didn't even, it was so crazy because like, I remember being at lunch with Greg Neighbors, our music director, and Markeisha, who was in the show as yeah. well, and we were at sushi across the street, and Greg gets a phone call, and he goes, did you know Nathan's stepping into the show? And I'm like, how would oh. I know that? I've been sitting here with you. And he's like, well, apparently, since we've been sitting here, somebody <laughs> dropped out, they offered it to Nathan, and Nathan said yes. I was like, okay, that's great. It was just like all so, everything is so sudden. Right. Um, but yeah, it and and so those are my favorites for for different reasons. I also really loved doing True Beverly Hills, and I have a soft spot for Devil's Prada as well. And I loved The Last Breakfast Club. Um, it was totally different. It was more dramatic and um, you know to tonally very different from anything else I've done at Rockwell. So I have several favorites, but the last two I did for for different reasons were were my favorites. I love getting to see you two play opposite each other. It's fun, yeah. It's special. Oh, I'm now I have to say what my favorite thing was that I saw you in. Oh, yes, yes. Lebowski, Hocus. <laughs> Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. And then... Um, Never Been Kissed. Never Is been that kissed. it? Okay. Well... <laughs> I feel like I can't say never been kissed because I never got to actually just sit and watch you. Yeah, I loved count. acting opposite you in it, but it doesn't count. Um, so then I would say... Um, I mean, I did love seeing you play a little girl in Hocus Pocus amongst a million other things, but Bridesmaids is probably my favorite show at Rockwell I've seen you in because it was, I got to see you be the male lead and like, you know, be cute and funny and sexy and dorky and all the things like... You know, all the reasons people love you. Oh, not dorky. Just very suave the whole time. Oh, okay. Now I understand. Um, you know, and like I saw you shake your little butt, your juicy <laughs> butt. Um, yeah, I loved that. And I watched that show, like, I don't even know, 10 million a times, times, I'm going to say. I watched it a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think you have me beat, but I was there a lot. Um, yeah, that's my favorite. I think for me, the uh, favorite show I saw you in, uh, I'll, I'll stick to shows that I didn't direct as well, uh, okay. was uh, Troop Beverly Hills. 
Uh, and I remember being there almost every performance, just laughing like that, that cast and that show, like for me, like I just, I just it tickled me. So yeah, that was a really, really fun show. Um, was that before you did Hocus or was that after? Yeah. Okay. That was before? It was okay. before. And then they brought it back at the same time. So there were a few weeks where I was doing double duty. Okay. <laughs> wow. And then you're like, what show am I doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had the same situation with Hocus Pocus and Bridesmaids mm -hmm. the next year. Um, and Ashley Argoda, they were both doing double duty. So that's crazy to me that like, cause I, to an extent I'm good at memorization, but like to memorize two scripts and like differentiate like what character you're playing that night, the stage directions that night. I mean, I think if it's two different shows, it's really not as hard as you would think because you're, you've memorized a specific track. I think what's challenging is when people swing and when they do multiple tracks of the same show. Cause mm -hmm. then you're like, I'm doing the same song, but I'm singing a different part and I'm standing in a different place and I'm wearing something different. And like, that's confusing. Cause you're yeah. like, I, last night I was, oh no, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I don't think I've actually done that at Rockwell, but like Janae has done it a million times. There are other, mm -hmm. Emma, there yeah. are people who, who are just like killer. But even stepping in though, yeah. just stepping in stuff, yeah. just learning the roles, that's impressive too. <laughs> uh, I think the, my favorite show that I've performed in though, uh, I think it would, it would be Bridesmaids as well. Like uh, again, it was just a, a joy to go to the theater every night and be around everybody. And uh, it was one of those shows that I think like uh, it uh, turned out to be uh, where if you weren't on stage, you were watching what was happening on stage because it, it was, everyone was such a fan of everyone else in the show mm -hmm. that uh, every night was uh, a free ticket to go see some of the best performers around do something and you just happen to be a part of that with them. And so for Bridesmaids, it was, you know, uh, the, the track that I had was, was very uh, kind in letting me be off stage for large stretches of, of the show. So I Yeah, you to... were like not in it for 20 minutes and then you'd come on and do your solo and then you'd be gone and like, you know, take a bath, have some champagne. Yeah, Marissa Jarrett Winoker, who directed that, is a godsend <laughs> for doing that. Uh, no, she uh, she directed the hell of that show, and it was just fun to to sit back and watch everybody enjoy performing together as well. Um, so uh, I think that would be the the performance one for me. And as Lana said, it show, it uh, like. I feel like it showed like off what you could do that show. It showed his juicy butt is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes, no, that that. No. <laughs> See, oh. <laughs> comes sure. up. Juicy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you have a show that you think has been the most challenging at Rockwell? Before I move on from Rockwell, challenging. I mean, for. For me, the the most recent the the it and League of Their Own, um, in what the kind of tone and speed and level of performance and level of you know lighting and all that that technical uh, wizardry 
uh, we were really getting to something that I was starting to, I mean, not starting to, but like I was really enjoying and, yeah. and seeing like how we could move out of just that space and, and, and be like a brand of theater that is interactive and that included the audience and the, the unknowns of live performance within the context of the show. Um, and so the, the, those two shows uh, were the most challenging uh, in one in that League of Their Own uh, was a sports show and putting sports on a stage is always a, a tricky yeah. situation. And fortunately uh, I was uh, a producer on that and Emma Hunton was the director on that and she really had a vision for how to make that work and the music and the, the characters and getting to work with her and Kate uh, in, in culling that show and in, in curating that show into what it became and like. Greg. And Greg, of course. Uh, none of the shows happened without Greg. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he really, uh, if, if you're looking for like a tonal through line in, in those type of shows, I think Greg is, is it. Uh, his sense of music and timing and humor all are like just throughout every one of those shows. Um, League of Their Own was is my favorite show that I've watched. I thought it was extraordinary. I loved it. And Chad with his costumes and oh yeah, everything was like stepped up. Like the, yeah, cost everybody looked great. Everyone sounded great. Everyone Lighting, was just, like yeah. so good. And then with it, like it, like once we had done that level of execution with League of Their Own, I felt pressure to okay, well, how do we, how do we up the game from there into doing the the next show in which is this horror genre carnival, you know, craziness. Uh, and then they wanted to do both of the movies. And so how do you do two movies in one show? And that, you know, those kind of challenges became the the name of the game, even with uh, Stranger Things and doing the Choose Your Own Adventure, you know, challenging what theater was. Yeah, I forgot about Stranger Things. I loved Stranger Things. Stranger Things too. was great. Yeah. And, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jurassic and 10 Things I Hate About You, like every one of the shows, like I think that kept going is it was making its way toward a type of live performance that wasn't exactly theater and wasn't exactly cabaret and wasn't exactly stand-up comedy. And like it became something else and it became something very unto itself, like Rockwell. Um, and so, uh, I think in that, anybody that participated in any of those shows, you know, either that I directed or prior to that, that uh, either Marissa directed or Ty or Peter or anybody that came before, even I've seen shows there. The, the, I think the goal has always been to push performance forward and to push live entertainment forward and see how how far and how much we can pack into like a, a, a small space like that and really give people their, uh, their money's worth as far as a, a level of talent and, and execution that is not necessarily done anywhere else that I've seen. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think for me the most challenging was probably the last Breakfast Club mm-hmm. because, I mean, and it was maybe the most rewarding because of that, but like, because everything I'd done at Rockwell until that point was just like parody, parody, parody. And this was not that, this was, I mean, it had a parody element to it, but it was much more serious. Um, it was the first time we had like extensive choreography. There was a, you know, the turn turntable. Um, it felt very like, special like I just not that every other show wasn't special every show is special in its own way but there was something about doing that learning that show and because it was like largely an homage to the breakfast club it didn't make fun of the breakfast club at all it just like celebrated it yeah it celebrated it so you know I I felt a level of like all right well I've got to like um pay respect to this movie and this character and um and but still make it fun and it's still rock well but now i'm also learning choreography that's far beyond you know what i'd been used to doing um and yeah i think it was like i i briefly mentioned it earlier but that was another of my favorite shows just because it was so unique and so um i the experience of it was great i loved it I, i felt a catharsis every show I don't know like at the end of it when we're all holding our fists in the air I just felt like there was something very moving about that to get to experience that every night it was sort of like when I did Miss Saigon and there's the scene where the helicopter comes down and you know all the GIs get up and like fly back away and all the Vietnamese people are left on stage just like there's something about that shared experience of like oh my God, like in that sense, it's this huge tragedy. And because it's based on something real, you're just like, oh my God, this is awful, but it brings us all together. There was a similar feeling with Last Breakfast Club of like, you know, even though it's a fictional story, it's like, we all know how it feels to be one of these archetypes or a combination of these archetypes and go through, you know, high school and growing up and, um, the difficulties of life and feeling like, okay, we made it. We made it through the other side. We're still alive. There's something really beautiful about that that, um, that was challenging and very re- rewarding. And, and I'll say too that I, I've, I've pulled uh, Bradley aside on several occasions and, and thanked him for uh, his direction and writing as far as what he's brought to the Rockwell. Um, yeah, it's something totally different from what we were all used to before. Yeah, and really opened uh, my eyes to the accessibility of those kind of real tangible moments of, of exploration uh, as far as the characters are concerned and something that I tried to uh, mimic and bring into even the parodies that, that I was directing is being able to land one or two of those really like real moments in the midst of this comedy mm-hmm. one surprises the audience and two if you're able to do it then like really gives them like she said the catharsis and that emotional release you know that that we desire as an audience member you know and and having real human connection with something that's being presented to us like blackbird in league of their own mm-hmm. and creep and stranger things I exactly think. And even yeah. like it, like having having several of those moments throughout. Elastic Heart. Mm-hmm. 
So I think those moments all kind of sprung from having seen the effectiveness of the directing and writing of somebody like Bradley uh, with uh, The Last this Breakfast This is Bradley Bredewig for your viewers. Bradley Bredewig. Yeah, of, of the Fosters <laughs> and Good <laughs> Trouble fame <laughs> creator. Uh, but his, his influence at Rockwell too has, I think, both as a performer for her getting to work with him and then as a, a, a director getting to watch the work that he's done uh, there uh, has, has been a, a big piece of growth as far as what the theater world uh, can be open to. You know, like, it, yes, it can be parody. Yes, it can be fun. Yes, it can challenge us. Yes, it can make you cry. Yes, it can make you laugh. And like all of those things are present and tangible and, and, and accessible to you if you really, you know, put yourself into the, the story and the work. Why people love theater. Yeah, it truly. You, it gives you an escape, but it also gives you a different outlook in like a, a real events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you an escape, but it also not in a way that you don't lose connection, like because you are still connecting to the the people that are in the room with you. You know, it's not escapism as in like you don't have to think about anything. No, you're still sharing in something communally with the other, you know, audience members, with the people on stage, you know, those type of things. Mm-hmm. And speaking of what you said about Bradley, uh, I feel like this opens up like a uh, conversation about inspirations. Who inspires you in the entertainment industry? Like who do you, I mean, when acting, when directing, besides someone like Bradley? I mean, I personally try to surround myself with the people that inspire me. So, uh, you know, people like Lana, people uh, like my co-creator uh, and, and co-producer of, of the film, The Rising Hawk, John Wynn, uh, he's somebody that just has a, a creative engine that, that never stops. He's always writing and doing things. And so like when I encounter people that I find inspiring, I usually try to engage them and start to collaborate with them so that I can uh, have that inspiration continually injected into my life um, in, a, in a very like what we were saying, real and connected sort of way. Um, but from like a outside perspective, uh within the arts community because uh, i certainly have my own inspirations in, in my own personal life that you know range from my mother and father and sister uh, uh to just individuals in history that I've, I've read about but i think as as far as people working today that are really doing stuff that i'm i'm excited by uh john favreau uh okay who is somebody that uh, is, is able to create story on like a, a scale and level that I envy and that I aspire to, you know, with like the Lion Kings and the, the Star Wars and the, the Marvel universes is like, he has his fingers in everything that I absolutely adore. Uh, and then on top of that has had a successful career as a performer in in movies like Rudy in movies like uh you seen Rudy he's uh the 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 goofy guy that that befriends him and then like helps him study that. and gets him into Notre Dame it's really good and yeah. Vince Vaughn is in that as well really yeah uh so somebody <laughs> like 
tonight. <laughs> exactly. Somebody like uh, John Favreau, who continues to get to perform uh, under the the umbrella of his own like creations, um, and and get to work with people that are out there making like you know the most exciting stuff available. Uh, I I that's where I, you know, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to play. Those are the, the sandboxes I want to, I want to jump into. Doing all the things. Yeah. Yes. I'm inspired constantly by many different things. I'm inspired by actors and actresses whose names I don't know, but who, when I see them, I'm like, man, this person is in everything. And I'll go on IMDb and I'll be like, they've been working consistently since 1974 or whatever I'm like damn like you know it's like I respect that so much I think it's such a such an accomplishment to be continuing to work in this industry for so long and to you know not be I don't know if it's like you know maybe they're not famous because they're not playing like the starring roles all the time but to continue to find work um and to reinvent yourself and whatever. I think that's so admirable and um, I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by people um, like Shonda Rhimes who've created crazy empires um, and, you know, despite the odds being against them um, and could continue to prove time and time again, like, no, I'm not, well, I'm not a one-hit wonder. I'm not a one-trick pony. Like, here's another hit. Here's another hit. Here's another. It's like, oh, okay. Like, that's that's amazing. Um, someone like Lynn Manuel Miranda, who you're like, how do you even think to do that? To think so far outside the box at such a young age, and to have the confidence to go for it and be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a hip hop musical about Alexander Hamilton. Like, what? You yeah. hear that and you're like, that's that's insane. What are you even talking about? And then he does it and it's brilliant. But apart from it being brilliant, it's like to have the confidence in yourself to say like, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to put years of my life into this and I'm going to make it work and it's going to be successful. I find that kind of confidence incredibly inspiring. Um, yeah, there are a million people I could list. Mariah Carey. I just love her. Yeah. I'm so inspired by her. Um, but yeah, the people that I work with on a daily basis too, that I choose to surround myself with, um, I'm very inspired by I, As he makes his little face. I'm inspired by this face. The face what that launched a thousand shows. Yeah. Oh. Um, I retract everything I just said. Yes. Wow. Well, <laughs> and then, um, I mean, you all have had success in not only theater, but in TV film. So how, would you give any advice to people who are wanting to pursue TV, film, theater, like in this industry? Because as you men as you all mentioned, it's like so tough. Sure. And you all have been successful in all three, so. I mean, I think the, the common thread as far as any of our successes has always been uh, our ability to be self-starters um, because it, it, what tends to happen is uh, any momentum that you build for yourself, people tend to jump on board. Um, not that 
they're bandwagoners, but that they see the momentum and they want to participate in, in something that is going forward and that is being created. So a lot of times you have to be that initial inertia, that initial inertia? Initial inertia, initial inertia, that gets the ball rolling down the hill for other people to be able to recognize as movement, you know, like part of, uh, nature is a lot of times you know the over evolution people will recognize movement and that's how they hunt and that's how they see things in order to get their attention and i think we as as creators and as artists are, are a lot like that and that when we see movement on something we initially like we go toward it um so to be the movement and to bring other people to you has always been i think for for us uh, the the key to to really finding success and it never comes in the time that you you want it to <laughs> it never it, my mother has a saying that uh, everything has its season um, and that everything has its season uh, and that it is not up to you when that season comes and it's not up to you when that season comes <laughs> and, and, and we're now going to write a whole musical right here <laughs> With the words of, of Shelley Moore. Yes, the music of Pippin. <laughs> music of Pippin. Okay. Uh, that is Pippin, right? Yeah. So. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think, I think as far as the success that we found, like, and this is, you know, she's probably going to have a different answer. Uh, but it, it really, you know, it has to come from like you knowing your own worth and then you applying just hard work and into creating opportunity for yourself and especially as theater starts to evolve moving forward you know uh there's a lot of digital uh space uh, available to create in which there's a vacuum as far as entertainment is concerned right now so creating entertainment that people can engage in now that people you know that people want to uh to repeat view and to come back to and that that they find uh, a commonality and uh is great now because you have people's attention and they're they're looking you know for things to entertain them in which they would normally go out and engage in in the live entertainment so if there are ideas or or uh platforms that that you're looking to try to figure out and to invest in then i would say do it now because the the things are going to shift and as long as you uh to bring it full circle uh listen and look and observe what's happening you'll be able to find those opportunities and respond in the the time appropriate to take advantage of them yes very good advice that, yeah that was a really good answer <laughs> Um, I would say number one, do things that scare you because every piece of growth I've ever had in my entire life has come from something I didn't want to do initially. And it's always because I was scared. It's never like, I can tell when I'm going, when I'm resistant to something because I, it's something I haven't done before or something I think I can't do. Um, and then I go, all right, well, I'm just going to do it. And maybe I'll make a complete fool of myself, or maybe I won't, but either way, the world's not gonna end and maybe something cool will come from it. And every time I've done that, something really exciting has happened. Um, mm -hmm. I can list a hundred different things where I'm like, 
wow, I can't believe I did that. I really can't believe I did that, but I did it. And, you know, and then something unexpected happened. Um, And then the other thing I'd say is to find things that bring you joy outside of work, because Mm -hmm. this is something I've had to learn the hard way. When your passion is your career, it's so easy to be obsessed with it and focus only on it. And then when, and everything's so personal, when you don't get something, it hurts so much because you wanted it so badly. When you do get something, other things fall to the wayside because you're so ecstatic that it happened and you maybe make a big deal out of it when it, when, you know, you make too big of a deal of it. Um, I can say from personal experience that the, one of the best lessons I've learned is just saying, all right, I love what I do. I'm so lucky to get to do what I do, but at the end of the day, it can't be the only thing that brings me happiness or I'm going to be miserable most of the time because at best you're booking what 10% of the jobs that you're going out for. That's probably even a high number. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so take risks and then find things that make you happy outside of work. And I think you will find a place for yourself in this business if you continue to also do what he said and work hard and listen. And yeah. And there's so much rejection and y'all are like, so everyone in this industry is so strong to like face that much rejection. Strong and- or stupid? I'm not sure which. I think, I think strong. Okay. I don't know, because, I mean, you'll, like, keep going for it and going for it and, like, try, like, it's persistence. Well, the the trick to it is fail fast. Like, if you can get used to, to doing something and knowing that you're either wrong-footed in, in how you started or you need to course correct, then great. But, like, getting started and doing and going and persisting, like, we keep reminding each other, like, make them say no to you. Like, if you want something, and we don't mean that in an aggressive type, like being annoying fashion, but if you're passionate about something, then, you know, put it forth. And, And if somebody, if you do so in a manner, and if you conduct yourself in a professional manner and have a resume and, and, and a, presentation that that is representative of that then you should step forth in 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 confidence in in what you're presenting to the world um and and know that the the opportunity for people to embrace it or not will be there um but to to just take that uh, initiative to put it out there and, and and run that risk because there's the opportunity for them to, to reject you. Yes. But there is the opportunity for them to say yes. And there is the opportunity for them to be excited about something and to get on board and to feel part of something and for it to become their favorite thing. But you'll never know that unless you make it and unless you get it out in, in, in front of people. Yes. Go for it. Go for stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And then a couple quick questions to start wrapping up. Um, if you could turn a movie into a musical, what would it be? <sighs> movie into a musical? I got mine. Go. Yep. Three Amigos. Wait, the well, three well, Amigos. Is that? No, that's not a musical. No, but there's music in the movie. Oh, okay. Already. There's some great songs that Steve Martin wrote. 
Um, and there's just these, I feel like it could be like a producer's and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that has ever had that idea, but it's just, to me, it, it makes too much sense. Got to make that happen. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Actually, we, the, the show that we were writing for the next parody was, uh, which will, I don't think happen now was the matrix. Um, and that's something that I've wanted to turn into a parody musical for as long as I've been directing at Rockwell, at least. Like, it, I wanted to do that prior to doing uh, Jurassic Park, which was the first one I ever directed there. I think you've mentioned that before, and I hope that someday that it can happen. Ah, I mean, so it's fun. written? Half of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we'll see where the world goes. We'll see. Um, I would like to make Independence Day into a musical. Oh. It is my favorite blockbuster. There are aliens. Ooh, aliens would be another good musical. There's, you know, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, power duo, buddy, buddy cop, alien. Anytime musical. you get to put a, a Jeff Goldblum into a musical situation, I think you, you have a recipe for success. Yeah, and an obligation to <laughs> do an it. An obligation to give that to the world. Um, yeah, I think that would be great. Strong. For sure. And then um, there's lots of different 90s songs used in, like 90s, 80s, 2000 songs used in the, in the Rockwell parodies. What's your favorite 90s song? Or 80s song? Oh, my God. Favorite 80s or 90s. Oh, well, I've got a vision of love, Mariah Carey. Yes. It's, okay. It's maybe my favorite song of all time, but um, definitely my favorite 90s song. Uh, I think for me, uh, it would uh, have to be uh, Harvey Danger, Flagpole Sitta. Paranoid, paranoid, everybody's coming to get me. Is that thousands? When did that come out? That came Early out in the 90s, I believe. Okay. Um, it's a yeah. good song, man. But that's one song that I've been trying to get into at, at, at any Rockwell so show. So have I. What, it, one line of it was in the mm -hmm. Hocus Pocus medley. Yeah, but I wanted to do the whole song in, in pretty much every show. And it so just have I. Fit. I've always brought it up because it is such a fun song. And I feel like every time that song comes on, which is not often. You're like, oh my God, yes. There are very few songs in the world where I feel like I would stop what I was doing to sing along. And I think maybe part of it is that it's not constantly playing. Sure. So you like. I'm not sick, but, but I'm, I'm not well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's my. But song, would you stop what you're doing and sing along? Yes. I mean, I would stop everyone from what they were doing. I'd say, halt. She like pulls the car over. <laughs> she's like wait hold on <laughs> i just stop in the middle of the freeway she's like stands on her car and does this yeah <laughs> so I it's do. like a, a mariah carey radio station you're like oh no we gotta turn this off quick <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah if it's a mariah carey station not a lot gets done like the christmas season when when mariah's on all the time like we, we, don't, we don't we can't go anywhere we don't do anything we <laughs> we don't eat we don't sleep. We just wait for we the next listen. time Mariah is on. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. No judgment there. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, what's the funniest thing that's happened on stage to you all on the show? Funniest thing that's happened on stage? Uh, 
I will say that the hardest I've ever laughed on stage uh, was when I was doing a show called I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. Um, and there's one song about uh, going shopping. Uh, a, a husband is going shopping with his wife. And the opening line of the song is, we came to buy shoes like she needs more shoes. Uh, and then there's like a drop in like a, a, the drums. And I came out, I sang that, and I had these bags, like my arms are stuffed to the, the brim with bags of, of shoe boxes. And I came out and I just looked at the audience and I said, we came to buy shoes. And the entire audience just started howling with laughter. And I didn't really understand why, because I didn't think I had said the punchline yet. But I guess just the visual image of me standing there like with arms full of boxes and shopping bags was enough for people to find funny. But then they didn't stop laughing. And it became like two and a half minutes of everybody just laughing and like, the other actors like were looking around the, the curtain at me and I was just on stage laughing with the audience because I, did, I, I didn't even know what to do. Uh, they, I was waiting on the, the piano to pick back in, but we were just sitting there laughing and the audience was laughing and I was laughing and I was just like, all right, this is a moment. This is what's happening. Love it. Have you guys seen that video? I just saw someone post it, but it was like, um, a little fall of rain from Les Mis. At first I was mad because I didn't realize it was a rehearsal. I thought it was a performance, but it was a rehearsal. So this is okay. <laughs> Marius is holding Eponine and her squib like gets squished. So just blood like shoots out all over the place. And he's singing and he's like, she's like, don't you fret me? And he's like, and she's like, <laughs> and she's just facing the whole song laughing Hyster and it's the most dramatic song uh, in the world ever. It's so funny. And yeah, watch at first I was like, wait a minute, don't ruin this. Like, just go with it. But then then I was like, it's it was like a high school production of it too. So it was not a big deal, but it made me laugh so hard when I realized What was that? Anyway, um that's neither here nor there. You just remind me. Um I think my I don't, I feel like so many funny things have happened on stage at Rockwell that I can't even pinpoint one. So I'm gonna go all the way back to high school. I was starring in the, the pajama game. I was a sophomore and my friend Danny Segura was um, opposite me and we, you know, we fall in love and we sing this duet at the end and we're supposed to say like, it's, a, I think the song's called I Love You More. Um, but the whole premise is like, um, uh, I'm trying to remember how it starts. It's like, whatever, you, there's like a famous person in history. Well, I love you more than that. It's like, there once was a man who loved a woman, loved him enough to, uh, loved her enough to start the Trojan War. They say that nobody ever loved as much as she. Anyway, so it's like, uh, then it goes back and forth. I love you more than, na -na 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 -na, more than, na -na 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 -na, more than, na -na 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 -na. and, uh, so we come out and we're singing it and I blank. I, I cannot for the life of me. I'm starting to open my mouth. This happens to me periodically where I just, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say right now. <laughs> and I was supposed to say more than a guzzler loves his gin, which is already kind of a weird lyric for like a love song, but like, whatever. <laughs> Couldn't remember. And he's looking at me and it's like, dun, 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 dun. he's saying his line. And I'm like, and I go more than a guinea pig loves his snout. And he's like, 
what? And he just starts laughing and I'm like, and I'm, and I can't remember any, like, I just keep making up these weird things that have make no sense. Cause I can't remember any, like once I forgot the first thing, I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. I was just like pulling things out of my butt. Okay. That's a very fond memory for me. More than the fisherman loves his trout. <laughs> <laughs> and someone, and surprise, someone from Rockwell was there and remembered you from that performance. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, she can handle Rockwell. Yeah, yeah. let's put her in a show. This girl's yeah. going to make big moves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they were like, yeah, I remember that. Way, like back then. Yeah. When she was in high school. That's uh, guinea pigs. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And then, um, then what's the first thing, um, when quarantine ends, I don't know when it will, but like when it gets back to normal and stuff or whatever normal is, uh, in the world, uh, what's the first thing you're going to do? The first thing, um, well, after like hugging my whole family, because I feel like that's just a given as far as like something I feel like I'm gonna go sit inside a restaurant and be wined and dined for like three hours right before going and sitting in a movie theater and watching a movie and then getting a massage what else can't I do <laughs> and then going out for drinks with friends you're gonna have a whole night. I like have a whole. This is planned. a long, a no. long day of fun. But there are so many things I miss so much, and many of them are champagne problems. Absolutely. I feel bad for the restaurant for the restaurant workers who are gonna have to like tell people, no, you can't stay five hours at, the, at this restaurant. Yeah. Or you can just like tip compensate them for being there for five hours. But yes, that's true. They they probably have to turn those tables pretty quickly. Like we have other customers waiting for a table. <laughs> That's okay, you don't. Just me. Yeah, I want to stay for five hours. <laughs> uh, I think for me, like, I, I just can't wait to be back on set, like filming. Um, that's, that's, that's. I, 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 I'm just so excited about uh, the opportunity to to get back to work. Um, because even though we have managed to stay pretty busy, uh, the the COVID protocols and whatnot uh, with testing and masks and everything, keeping the, the set safe, there's still a lot of travel uh, and whatnot that is up in the air as far as what feels safe, what, you know, comfortability. And so I think that just the ability to move around without having to necessarily plan for two weeks of quarantine yeah. and in doing so. Um, you know, I, living in California, my family lives in Florida. Uh, so I would love to go back and, and spend time with them, but they're also of the age where they're, they're susceptible to uh, getting sick more easily. So, um, I look forward to the, the the chance to be able to go see them more regularly or have them come see us or you know any of our, our family in that capacity and be able to to uh, interact in that in that way. Yes, I yeah. And just like I feel like just traveling in general right now. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. we all need this. <laughs> yeah. 
for real. It's, that's, it's brutal not being able to do that. And, and like simple things like getting a haircut. I still haven't had my haircut in eight months and I know people are doing that, but like, I know that every time I work, I get, t- I've had, I had my 10th COVID test a couple days ago cause I was working and every time I go on set, I have to get tested and I'm God forbid, I don't, I have a positive test result because I like, you know, it's like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go, you know, I, I, I know it's probably unlikely if everyone's masked and they're following all the protocols, but you know, it just makes me nervous. I, I do have a, an addendum to my answer in now thinking about it. Uh, the, the film that, that I've been producing that uh, is coming out on October 2nd, we were supposed to have like a theatrical release. And because of the COVID and theaters closing down, like we didn't get to. Uh, and so I think for me, like getting to have that at some point, even if it's like a friends and family screening to be like, this is what I've been working on the last three years. Like, and we get to all do it in the way that it was, it was intended to be done. Uh, but not until then. I don't, you know, I don't encourage anybody going to the theaters and getting sick. But uh, I think for me, like, that would be a, a cool moment. Yes. And a, des- and a deserved moment. Do you know if it's going to play at any, like, drive throughs or anything? Uh, we don't know yet. Uh, I know that uh, it's going to be on all the, the digital platforms uh, and is available for pre-sale now. But uh the theatrical in the UK, the in Great Britain, will open November 30th. Uh, and so there's there's different markets that it is getting to play in theaters, uh, just not here. Um, so we're going to try to make the most of it and have yeah. everybody watch it from home. Yes, big Zoom party. <laughs> exactly. And then I, I, what else, do you all have anything else that you can talk about? Can you talk about the Christmas movie? Uh, that you all worked on? I think so. Yeah, um, it's called White Elephant and we, we auditioned independently of one another and then we were called back together and read together and ended up booking it together along with another friend of ours, Carmela Zimbardo, who if you've seen the second season of You, she plays Delilah. Um, she's a very close friend and the three, it's an eight person cast and three of us are super tight. So that just worked out wonderfully because you know, to be making a movie in quarantine, you're like, I know we were, we're all getting tested. Like, you know, you're There's not, a certain amount of trust. Yeah, because you don't, you could, somebody could get tested and then immediately go to a bar. Like, we don't know. So you just kind of have to hope that no one's doing that. Um, but we don't know details as far as when or where it will be distributed. But um, we can tell you it will be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be great fun. Uh, We got an email a few days ago from the the director producer who is very excited by what he was seeing in the edit. So we expect that it will come out this year, but uh, as soon as we have more details, we'll let people know on our our socials. Yes. And then I have to look up the exact date, but I have a Christmas movie called uh, Christmas on the Menu, and it's going to be Lifetime. I'm a supporting character in that, but it will be out on November, uh, sorry, December 18th on Lifetime, Christmas on the Menu. Oh, And then- We just had a series that premiered on Topic called Release uh, about a fictional pandemic that we had actually filmed prior to the the real pandemic. We filmed it in 2018 in New York, and then it just came out on the Topic app, and it's- Man, they got a lot of things right. The masks and the 
quarantining and all that. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see that, we play a couple in that as well. Um, And uh, if you are, if you go to the Walmart app, there's a, um, a thing called camp. It's like an at-home camp for, I've got, I burned myself baking cookies twice. But this one was like two days ago. Oh my fresh, god! Fresh one. Um, the Walmart app. Uh, it's like activities for families. So it's like, you know, they have like a bunch of celebrities teaching you how to do stuff, and then just like professionals and experts in different things. But like LeBron James is on it, and Idina Menzel, and Drew Barrymore, and like all these cool people are teaching you fun activities. And I'm a camp counselor with Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> Um, so I've been shooting more stuff for that. So if you want to check that out, that's out there as well. Yeah. And, and family style. She also is on a, uh, food, uh, re- not reality show, but yeah, non- it's, it's a food and food friends travel show that because of quarantine, there's, it's all in LA this year, this season. Um, but it's the second season. It's on uh, Stage 13, which is a division of Warner Brothers. It's a digital arm. Um, but the whole second season's almost all out now. You can watch that. And Lots of stuff. And The Rising Hawk. And the Rising October Hawk. October 2nd. October 2nd. All VOD. That's so soon. It's so soon. And he's been working on it for years. So that's very exciting. Yeah. And uh, so people can buy and rent that and tell everybody they they know about it. And then they can buy and rent it and so on and so forth. Yes. And I'm going to throw a party on October 2nd for you. (laughs) Yay! Yes. I'm so excited that you all have been doing so much because it gives, like, it gives people things to watch. And, like, people need to be entertained during this time. So. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we've been fortunate to get to work a bit during this and hopefully things continue to open up and we can all, you know, with proper testing and masks and social distancing, we can continue to, you know, almost be back to normal. Right. Yes. And then to keep up with you all and like how busy you all have been staying during this time period, uh, where can people follow you all on social media? I'm at Lana McKissick across all platforms. And I am at NatMo904 on Instagram or at the Rising Hawk movie. Yes. You're also at the Nathan Moore on Twitter. Yeah, there's different, there's different stuff. Just get, find her and then you'll find me. <laughs> We're not on TikTok. I just joined, but I don't have an account yet. I just joined oh. the what is this TikTok people keep talking Take about? TikTok. So we're we're figuring that out now. Or you can go to youtube.com slash Lana McKissick if you want to look at some of the videos shorts from five did. years yeah. ago. Hey. And there's some amazing covers on there too. So yeah. oh, well thank you. So that's fun for people to watch. Well, thank you all for coming on and talking to me. Thank of you, Becca. It's so nice to see your beautiful face. It's been months. Absolutely. Six months. Literally six months, yeah. Months. I mean, I've seen you on the gram, but, you know, not, like, moving. Not You're just, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> trying to pose cute. Love it. Yeah. Always. Well, well, thank you for having us. Of course. Thanks for watching this episode of Backstage with Becca B. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Becca B Talks TV. Or for more exclusive content from this interview and more, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Backstage with Becca B. Make sure to subscribe to my channel and like this video 
Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me a five-star rating. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye!